1: Hey, welcome to the episode. Appreciate you joining me again. Uh, I thought today I would just reset a prior episode that we did uh, well over a year ago. We had Kyle Larson and Lily Steermo from TCI Wealth on to talk about how to build generational wealth, how to get younger generations to save money and, and to build wealth for themselves. Uh, it was such a good conversation and frankly, one of our most popular episodes uh, for good reason. Uh, and because it was so long ago, we've done well over 50 episodes since then, and I know the way these things can get kind of lost in the long death scroll of applications and things, I thought I'd reset it for you here today so you can hear for the first time if you didn't catch it when it came out previously, or you can listen to it again. And if you're like me, you'll listen to it again, uh, and you'll be reminded of some things that you had forgotten about that we talked about that will maybe turn on some light bulbs for you because it certainly did that for me. So with that, I'll leave it there. Again, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, and I hope you enjoy this episode.
0: Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and per usual, I'm joined by Rachel Sass. Rachel, how are you?
2: I'm good. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We almost have cabinets in my kitchen. I want to report that to you so that you know that eventually, after having cabinets, I also might have countertops again in my kitchen. Oh,
2: no. (laughs) It's it's progress. It's progress. You're it you're, progress. you're inching along to having a functional kitchen again.
0: Getting, yeah. Getting closer. I think what they're going to do is they're going to revoke my DoorDash account at some point. <laughs>
2: She'll
3: be like,
0: you have abused the system. <laughs> but I I suspect that they're going to do it in like a really nice way, not a mean way. It'll be like everything I order will say that it's outside of my delivery zone or my delivery location, no matter where it's coming from. they will like, oh, sorry, it's
1: outside of your area,
0: <laughs> nothing we could do. That's how they'll let me know that I've abused DoorDash.
2: <laughs> that would be, oh, that would be mean. You know, it's so funny you say that. So tonight for dinner, we were trying to order our favorite Chinese food place and we're you know, it's a nice cute little local restaurant. So, you know, try and feel good and gotta support local, even though we really just really want Chinese food and we're gonna be lazy. And they got the message that they're outside of our delivery zone now and we were so angry and I checked all the other delivery apps, none of them will deliver to us anymore. And now we just don't Ouch. even know what to do with ourselves. Ouch. So apparently DoorDash, I abuse the privilege too much and I don't get my favorite Chinese food anymore.
0: It does seem that way. Yeah, based on all the evidence, I can only surmise <laughs> that you have been an abusive customer.
2: <laughs> you know, we only use it like one, two times a week. I mean, come on, it's not too bad. <laughs> it's not that
0: much. <laughs> you don't have an excuse. You have countertops.
2: I have countertops. That's true. I just don't like to cook. Yeah. Yeah. They would be mean. They would be mean to kick you off DoorDash because I think you, they, you, just, I think you don't have approach. the alternative.
0: Under the circumstances, it'd be very harsh. Yeah, yeah.
2: But then you just switch, right? Then you go to Grubhub, and you go to Uber Eats, you go to Postmates. You got, you got options still. That's right. <laughs> they,
0: they don't even know.
2: Exactly. I don't by have t- to
0: use their services.
2: By the time you get through all of those delivery services and they kick you all off, you should have a kitchen by that point.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. So it's it's within the realm of possibility that I'll be able to cycle through all of them and then have a functioning kitchen again. But yeah. But it is exciting. The The upside to having the cabinets in is then once they're in and nothing is going to move, we can schedule them to be measured. And then once they're measured, they can start cutting stone for the, the countertops. So we're inching cl- ever closer.
2: Good. That'll be nice. You, are you taking progress pictures? Some. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I think that's always like the most rewarding afterwards, right? You realize all the headache you went through and you finally get to see the, the before and after.
0: Yeah, it's it's already starting to look better because they sort of have like the frame of the cabinets in. And so you can it looks like a kitchen again, I guess is what I'm saying. Use, it <laughs> was just a bank, a vacant room, but now it actually looks like a kitchen again. All right. So, yeah,
2: you're, you're going to get there.
0: You're going to get there. Uh, well, I thought that today we could talk about youngins, youngsters, what to do with the youngsters. How to get younger generations uh, engaged in building generational wealth, uh, which is a bit of a topic that we've covered a couple of times on the podcast already, but not necessarily from the lens of younger members of families or um, just younger people in general. So I didn't think there'd be uh, anybody more fun to do that with than some actual young people. Uh, Kyle Larson, Kyle is a CFP at TCI Wealth Advisors. Kyle, uh, we'll get in a little bit in Kyle's background here in a bit, but Kyle uh, is a financial advisor uh, and perfectly suited to uh, speak to this topic both professionally and generationally. So, Kyle, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. We also have Lily Stiermo with us. Lily also is a CFP at uh, TCI Wealth Advisors, also has a very interesting background that we'll get into here in just a second, uh, and is a financial advisor and is equally well suited to speak to this topic both professionally and generationally. So, uh, Lily, welcome.
4: Thank you so much. So happy to be here.
0: So two things that I think um, the world ought to know about both of you. First of all, uh, and I recently learned this, is that Kyle at one point uh, was in medical school and is now a financial advisor. So in maybe maybe from a 50,000 foot uh, uh, perspective, Kyle, how is it that one goes to medical school and then ends up being a financial advisor?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Um <laughs> How do I sum that up in a 50,000 foot view? Uh, I think I think what I really learned pretty quickly when I maybe matured a little bit was you gotta be really passionate about what you're doing for your entire life. And uh, as much as I loved certain areas of medicine, there were many areas that I despised. Um, <laughs> And I think I learned quickly that I didn't want to be doing that for the rest of my life. So, you know, the the things I loved happened to be, you know, building relationships with patients, problem solving, diagnosis, things like that. Um, And I, you know, that actually translates very well into financial planning. Um, A lot of that is building long-term relationships with clients. Um, There's a lot of variability in problem solving. So naturally, they actually connect pretty well. Um, At the time, I didn't know that. But now it's, it's it's worked out pretty well
0: yes very 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 interesting all right well I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to that in just a second so and and Lily has a very interesting background as well because at one point in her lifetime she was a river rafting guide in the Grand Canyon which uh, not that many people can say they were so how does one go from being a river rafting guide in the Grand Canyon to being a financial advisor Uh,
4: it was again kind of a nice transition kind of like what Kyle was talking about where I was doing this job that I loved, but I knew it wasn't a long-term sort of career for me. And you build relationships, take people on this trip, and they would trust you with their lives to get them safely from one end of the canyon to the other. But then they go home and then the vacation's over and you don't see them again. And um, I have a real passion for goal setting and figuring out how to get there with clients and financial planning, which is kind of the long-term evolution of that. And then hopefully someday I can take my new clients on hikes and river rafting trips.
0: (laughs) So you can, so you can do both. You can still do both. (laughs) Exactly. Well, yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's very, uh, those are two very interesting uh, little tidbits in your backgrounds. Uh, but I'm not surprised by, uh, that because I know, uh, both of you personally and know that you're also very uh, good at relationships as Kyle was mentioning and building those relationships and helping people plan and helping people kind of through processes and and rational decision making so I'm not too surprised based on the backgrounds and then the current profession
2: so I'm glad all of us are together now um and like you said Brent this is going to be kind of a, a youngins conversation we're all millennials we got a millennial group here this is exciting. Uh, but I think it's this is an important conversation, right? Because like you said, we, we've we talked uh, talked about this issue before on the podcast a little bit, but we've talked about it in the sense of once you have generational wealth. So we've talked about it in sense of the patriarchs and the matriarchs who have created this generational wealth and then what they're going to do with it. We haven't really talked about it from the lens of I'm a young person. I want generational wealth. How do I become that patriarch or matriarch and build that for my family? And I think a lot of of younger people, you know, you get out of school, whether that's undergrad or a postgraduate degree, you're saddled with debt. I'm just talking about my own life right now. And you know, you, you come out with a lot of debt and you're thinking how in the world, when am I gonna pay off the debt? And then how am I even supposed to create this generational wealth for years to come? And then I think a lot of people can kind of just get bogged down by that. And then you just think, well, it's never gonna happen for me. You know, I'll just get by but you really can make that happen. And so I think, you know, Kyle and Lily, you guys bring in a great perspective of helping counsel clients on this. And so, and obviously just being all of us being in a younger generation, how we are going to get to that point someday. So I thought that's what we would really talk about today. Um, there's obviously a multitude of ways, right, that we can build generational wealth. But I think kind of honing in on maybe a top five list of what our younger listeners can be doing to kind of create that wealth that they really want. So how does that sound?
3: That sounds great to me. I think that's a great starting topic, Rachel. Um, And one thing just to add to that, I mean, I think you hit it on the head is sometimes people are just very overwhelmed with where to start. Um, More and more college graduates are coming out of school with an insurmountable amount of student loan debt, which then they think inhibits their ability to start saving early, which sometimes that can be the case. Um, But really, it's just trying to focus as much as possible on getting a plan in place and sticking to that long term. I think is really important um, especially when you're young, because when you're young, that you have the greatest variable on your side, which is time, and you can't get that back.
4: That's a really good point to think about um, how to kind of balance student loan debt, a mortgage, and then retirement savings. And I think the trap that a lot of young people fall into is they throw everything at student loans or they throw everything at the, the consumer debt. And They don't put anything away for retirement. And that's a that's a big issue, because if you're not kind of paying yourself now for that retirement savings to grow and get invested, you're really losing what Kyle just said is time. So there needs to be a balance of, yes, pay off your student loans and be smart about it and absolutely pay your mortgage every month. But if you're too aggressive, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot with not saving for retirement.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when a lot of students when you come out of school, you are kind of given a few few different options, right? If if you've got federal student loans, they give you like the 10-year option, you have the 20-year option, and you know, if you're not doing government work and you're not working towards maybe a loan forgiveness program, you got to think 10-20 years. That's a long time. And like you said if you're not putting into retirement that's 10 years you're not getting all that compounding interest it's just not piling up for you and so it's going to be working against you um and i think you know in in school at least this is my own experience that i think it was maybe three months prior to graduation that we had our first student loan meeting it was all right you're going to come out with this much amount of debt a lot of people is six figures and This is your student loan repayment plan. And you just think, oh, my Lord, I have a mortgage payment a month basically in student loans. But and that was where the conversation ended. It's not how do we actually pay off these loans? It's not a conversation of refinancing them, getting a lower interest rate or how to couple that with, you know, if you've got credit card debt as well. And so I think kind of introducing that conversation, if you're still in school, do it then, if not, as soon as possible now while you're at, just to see, all right, how do we uh, put your money into the best places right now to get the higher interest rate, but then to, again, reap the rewards of putting into your retirement plan as well. So, all right. So I think we've tackled debt then, right? It's an uncomfortable topic to talk about. It's not pleasant, right? But it's, it's, someday it's going to get paid off. Um, I think the next important conversation then really to have is figuring out actually what you do have, right? Yes, we have debt, but what else do you have? You know, um, income, other assets, things like that. What can you, um, Lily, what do you think about that?
4: I love this topic because with a lot of clients that we work with in the beginning sort of data gathering phase more often than not, there will be a conversation of, oh, I think there's an old 401k out there, but I have no idea what it is. I don't know how much it, it's worth at this point. I'll figure it out. Or we're a year into you know planning and working together and they say, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, I have an old employer plan. I should probably roll that over, right? And I think that in order to start a really good plan, you need to know where everything is. And so I tend to be a really big fan of consolidating and simplifying your life. If you have four different accounts that are essentially kind of the same tax deferred vehicle and you can consolidate those, I would say go for it because it really makes your life so much easier knowing, hey, everything's at this one brokerage or everything's at this one custodian and I don't need to kind of be worrying about five or six different logins and passwords to keep track of because they get lost. And that's (laughs) that's that's not something that we want to have happen. It
0: is it is amazing with our clients too. We we run into a similar issue where they forget about assets that are actually quite valuable assets. But for whatever reason, just because of you know circumstances of life and all the craziness of things, they forget about it, or it just sort of becomes a little bit out of sight, out of mind. And sometimes that's fine in terms of the outcomes, but sometimes not paying attention to something can have really detrimental effects. And I mean, I'm assuming that as part of the, you know, sort of consolidation process, it's not just consolidating everything under, say, one brokerage house or, you know, one financial institution, but it's also bringing everything in and and then figuring out, well, what is it that you're invested in exactly? And do these things actually meet your stated goals? And if not, then figuring out, like, how how are you going to adjust from there?
4: It's exactly right. I mean, if you set up a employer plan and you're 20s, and then let it go and do its thing, and then you come back, you know, 10 years later, your allocation and investment um, goals might be really different. So, I think keeping on track with those things and making sure nothing gets lost is a really good starting point.
0: What about just kind of going through an exercise of maybe building out like a net worth type statements or like a personal balance sheet, even for um, people who are starting out, maybe just out of school, just getting getting a job? Um, And even though the numbers might be frightening to read, do you you find value in that for your clients? So, Brent, absolutely. Um,
3: I I think one of the biggest things from a goal setting perspective is just getting things down on paper because then you can actually see what the situation is. And you can also just see the progress you're making as you're paying down debt and building up your retirement assets or just saving liquid assets for a home purchase or whatever a short term goal happens to be um going back to my previous point this can be pretty overwhelming when you're just starting so having a kind of a web and a diagram of what's out there what you're trying to accomplish and then what time horizon you're trying to accomplish it in helps you stick to those goals Um, otherwise things just get lost and to lily's point it is absolutely perplexing the amount of clients you meet who just don't know what they have because as a financial advisor I think about what I have every 10 minutes. So the fact that someone has no idea that they lost an account or that they just had this stock out there that was worth hundreds of thousands of dollars and they just mysteriously forgot about it, I don't get it. But that's why sticking to a plan and making sure you have that net worth statement or having a personal statement of just your assets and your debts, helps you keep everything in order. So you have a starting point and you can move forward from there.
2: I love that. So then I think that kind of brings us to... The another main tip, which is really then the shameless plug, which is seeking out the experts, right? All of us. Um, First, obviously, seeking out financial advisors. One, because if you're young, you're fresh out of school, and maybe finance isn't your thing, right? Maybe you came out of, of medical school and you know that very, very well. But how to get out of the debt, how to start moving forward, maybe that's not your goals or, you know, maybe that's just not your um, your forte. And so, you know, sitting down with financial advisors, letting them know your goals so that you can actually create that plan, put it down on paper, figure out what you have, what you don't have and how you can kind of really get to that point. And then, of course, the estate planning attorney side, we have to have that plug in there. That's I think so many people, especially younger people, when I talk to them about estate planning, they just think, well, I don't have much. Right. And there's so much more to that. Still, it's no matter what you have stuff. Right. We all have stuff. We have furniture. We have clothes. We have sentimental items to us. And you you don't want a default plan, right? You don't want whatever the state default plan is for you. Maybe it's gonna work, but maybe you wanna dictate a little bit more. Having that control, I think that's the biggest thing is being able to know exactly what's going to happen so that there are no uncertainties in the future. And sitting down with an estate planning professional is really going to help you, you know, walk through all of that, know how everything's going to be laid out. So then you can start to create that legacy. So then when you do have the generational wealth, you really are laying out the plan for future generations.
3: So Rachel, to that point, um, I, I can tell you one thing that I learned, which I think a lot of people learn at different points in their life, is that you know you need to know what you don't know, right? You need to make sure you reach out to an expert in any area. So whether it's Financial planners, whether it's working with a physician in a particular, if you have a particular ailment, um, it's making sure that there's a there's a there's a key difference between educating yourself so you know what's going on and you're engaged versus trying to become the expert and doing it all yourself. Um, and that pertains not only financial planning but certainly estate planning to even a greater degree. Um, it's it's really important that you're engaging with people who are objective and. Um, you know, looking out for your best interest. So you know that you're making the right steps when you're young um, and positioning yourself to be successful um, for the future.
4: And I think the other part of that is money and finances can get really emotional. And especially when you're talking with your partner about it and trying to figure out what's the best next step. It's nice to have someone like Kyle said, that's objective and is a third party to really just give you the facts. Here's where you are. This is what we need to do. And I think sometimes if it's just a couple or if you're on your own, it's so easy to just get in your own head and maybe get bogged down in all of it. And so having an expert to lay out your estate plan and make sure that you're set up if anything is to happen and you have your financial plan and not getting so um, tied up in the emotion piece of it, I think allows for much cleaner, simpler planning in the long term.
0: Well, I wanted to I wanted to ask about that uh, that point because you both made it about objectivity uh, from experts, and I think it is a point that's difficult maybe for folks who are not super familiar with the financial planning industry as a whole to understand who among the many variations of professionals in that group are actually acting objectively, um, at least from the perspective of objectively solely in the interest of the client. So can you kind of explain that a little bit so it's clear? Yeah, absolutely, Brent. Um, I think the, the key distinguishing
3: factor when you're working with a financial planner is there's really do two different types of standards that exist. So there's the fiduciary standard, which you just briefly touched on, which is a fiduciary is someone who is acting in a client's best interest at all times um, and trying their best to minimize any and all conflicts of interest as best as possible. Um, The other standard, which a lot of insurance companies are governed by and some brokerage houses, is called a suitability standard which really it's very vague, and essentially it that particular planner or that particular advisor has to essentially recommend a product that they could claim was best for a client, even if they're receiving compensation for making that decision or they're selling proprietary products or whatever it may be. There may be hidden fees. Um, those are tip- typically pretty common. Um, So when it comes to pure objectivity, um, engaging somebody that you trust, you really want to make sure you're looking for somebody who's a true fiduciary um, and really is putting your interests above their own. And that not only comes from a compensation standpoint, so they should be able to clearly identify how they're getting paid. If it takes somebody more than 10 seconds to tell you that answer, they're probably lying. Um, And that also comes with, somebody just being proactive and making sure that you feel like they're in your court that they're doing everything they can to help you be successful um, and you can trust that person and many times that takes a long time to develop that level of trust as lily mentioned Um, health and money are both incredibly sensitive topics and a lot of times it takes a while for people to open up but um, you can typically tell if they if someone is a fiduciary um, if you're going to mesh with that person if they're knowledgeable um, if you can develop a relationship, that's really important in kind of identifying that person sooner rather than later so that that person can be on, you know, on your side, helping you achieve your goals.
2: Yeah, I think it's funny when you mentioned, especially about the compensation, that when you look at an advisor, you it really does need to be clear, right? That's, that's the first sign right there. And Brett and I have gone over multiple agreements before that um, some of our clients have signed. And even we can't figure out the compensation and we're attorneys and we're reading the contracts. That's pretty bad. If after, uh, you know, 30 minutes to an hour perusing this contract, we still don't know what the fee is at the end of the day. Something is wrong there. And like you said, it's, it's hard to gain that trust then if you just don't no, if you don't have all the answers, you just don't even know how they're being paid at the end of the day. Um, so that's a, that's a huge point that I think you really just can't stress enough. One question I get a lot from younger people is they think, okay, I'm, I'm a year out of school, right? So, you know, I don't really have much. So what, you know, I don't need an advisor. What would you guys say to like, is, is there ever an ideal time or is there a time that's too early to get a financial advisor involved to kind of help you take the next steps.
4: That's a really good question. I, if you're gonna put out the effort and you really want to get your financial plan together, I don't think there's, it, I don't think there's a time where it's too early to get started. I really don't. Um, and different, different financial advisors have different um, kind of planning options. Um, so maybe you just need a one-time plan, maybe you just need to help kind of get your arms around getting started and what to prioritize, and then you don't really need need to meet with them again for another year, but I don't think there is, there's not a magic number of, I have this much in my account, now I can go talk to a financial advisor. I think the sooner you go and talk to a professional, the better off you're going to be in the long run.
3: So to Lily's point, and I can just make a quick example, um, you you may not need to engage somebody full time when you're 23 years old and out of college, but you know one crucial mistake you could make is when you get your first job and let's say you're making $40,000 a year out of college doing something that you're just getting into for a career advancement stage and um, you start putting money in your 401k pre tax when you could be putting it in as a Roth contribution. Um, the difference of doing that over 10 years and not knowing the difference between those two can be thousands and thousands of dollars in tax later on. So, um, I would typically say, you know, to Lily's point, and she's absolutely correct, it's never too early to engage somebody. You may not have to work with somebody full time and pay them a fee, but you certainly want to connect with someone you trust who can just give you little tidbits of information to get you on your way. And then when you you advance in your career and things start getting more complicated. Um, whether you get married, you have kids, you get stock options, you you know you become an executive. When things just start getting more complicated, then you really are going to identify somebody you can work with. But you know, right out of the gate, put money in a Roth IRA, set it, forget it, pay down high interest debt, move on.
0: Yeah, that I, that's really interesting because I think. I think you're right. And I think what what Rachel is suggesting is right, that a lot of younger professionals kind of feel like, well, my, you know, my debts far out uh, exceed my assets. So therefore, it's not really worthwhile for me to have somebody giving me financial advice because I don't have any quote unquote finances, which is not really true, um, because it's a process and a continuum. And as you as you're very rightly pointing out, there are little steps that they can take year over year, even when they're first starting out, that when stretched out over a long time horizon can make a really big difference. And they'll be glad they did it earlier than later if they get started now. And I think also to your point, um, to, to both of your points, um, there's a difference between, say, advice and management, right? Like getting advice does not necessarily mean somebody is managing all of your investments. They're just advising you on Things like, what is the difference between a traditional IRA and a Roth? And, you know, is it better for that person under their circumstances to contribute to one versus the other? Those sorts of things. That's advice. Management is helping somebody pick investments and then watching those investments and maybe reallocating those investments for that person on their behalf. Like those are not necessarily the same thing. And those services can can be obtained separately.
4: Exactly right. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a time and a place for both of those services, but getting started sooner than later. I like that. I think that sets you up for success.
2: Absolutely. I think it's, 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 the same in the estate planning arena. It's, you know, we, we see younger clients come in and, you know, it's just set up the basic documents, right? Let's get the basis going. Let's make sure you have powers of attorney. Let's, uh, set up just a basic revocable trust. And then, you know what? When you start making a lot more money and you're coming in with millions then, all right, come back in years later, we could touch up those documents and we could really tell you how to, um, you know, beef them up a little bit. Let's start going on the tax planning technique side and we can go from there. But really just starting out, getting that information at the initial onset, that's going to be crucial for any person, I think. So then I think another big point to really building the generational wealth is just making your own mark in the world, right? Finding whatever it is that's your niche and make that a source of income. I think Brent and I have seen this over and over again with some of our clients. They have found what works for them and they have just ran with it. And that's what's got them to 20 million, 40 million, 80 million dollars. And we've seen it from, you know, if you're going to be in real estate and you're going to go invest and you're doing residential, you're going to commercial. All right. That's totally for you. We've seen others who um completely different. It's more on art and we've seen a lot more art collectors. We've seen a lot of artists come in. There's there's really not one single way to building generational wealth. It's finding whatever it is that's you know, unique to you, what you love to do, make finding that passion and turning it into a source of income.
3: So Rachel, this is, yeah, you hit it on the head. Um, This is exactly what I lived through. (laughs) So I guess I learned this by real life experience. Um, Sometimes you get into something that you do well at, but you don't love it. Um, And I think personally, I realized, and you said it perfectly, that you need to do what you're passionate about and what you love, and you can ultimately turn that into something that's incredibly successful. Um, I think I've absolutely found my calling and I love doing what I do as a financial planner and being able to help many people, um, in various levels and various complexities of planning. Um, it, you know, you, you got to make sure that you love what you're doing and you want to get up in the morning and do it every day. Um, and, and as you mentioned, we work with clients who do the typical jobs, whether they're an engineer, a physician, an attorney, and they do incredibly well. And then you have other clients you meet with who, you know, were artists or musicians or, you know, started something that was probably a hobby that became, you know, they became an expert at that. And they ended up being better at that than everybody else. And they turned into substantial wealth. So really making sure that you focus on what you're good at and what you love is really important.
4: And I think something else that I've seen a lot of younger people doing, and I think takes a lot of hard work and determination, but You can have your nine to five job and then do something on the side that you really love, whether it's promoting something on social media that you're working on or whatever that side hustle is that can eventually turn into a career. And you see that a lot now. And it doesn't have to be one or the other. At first, you can go to your normal nine to five job and then come home and do something else and post cooking videos or sell art on the side. I mean, that's, that's kind of the nice advantage we have with, you know, living in the time that we do is we have a lot of more access to um, a lot of people and in showing our passions in one way or another.
0: I think in addition to that, I I was just going to say, sorry, sorry, Kylie, me to cut you off that. Yeah, uh, I think in addition to that, it's also and this is this is there's no perfect answer to this, but I think it's also important to to find for yourself um, a good amount of perspective on what is you know, what is the right amount of income for you that will sort of satisfy your life or the lifestyle that you want or that would be comfortable for you and in which you would be happy. A, and then B, you know, what level of wealth we've been talking about. Kind of generational wealth, but you know, well, what level of wealth is that? Because that's a very broad uh, spectrum, and not every single person needs to be uh, needs to have 10 million dollars to be totally comfortable and live an amazing lifestyle. Uh, so every person kind of has to answer that question for themselves up front, and then once you have that framework, then the passion project that you've picked. To to kind of monetize into that framework of uh, takes on a little bit different meaning, right? If you need if you need to be earning five hundred thousand dollars a year doing uh, you know ten new bracelets that sell for twenty five dollars a pop on Etsy isn't going to get it done, right? Like having you have to have that framework perspective first, then that will inform what your uh, what your particular interest is going to do within, for you within that framework.
2: Absolutely. All right. So I think then the last main point is, we've just kind of alluded and gone around this through all the points, I think, but really it's have a plan, right? Have a plan and stick to it and create that plan while you're young. And this is actually something I kind of recently went through, you know, I graduated law school three years ago, my husband's been out of school for a while, but you know, while I was still in school, we bought our first house, now we're trying to save up for the next house. Obviously we've got other, you know, expenses in the middle and it's, how do you prioritize everything? And then to your point, Lily, like we're also thinking retirement, right? We need to have X amount of dollars to have the lifestyle that we want in retirement. And so when you think about that, how do you balance all of it? And for us, it's, you know, really looking at that priority, right? Or just what what comes first, right? What is the main thing? All right. This year I have to get a new car. So that's I I have to have a car. I'm not I'm not going to be Ubering around. And so, all right, I just need to start saving up for that. And then, you know, having everything else just kind of fall in place figuring out where, what your priorities are. And then every so often, whenever it needs to be changed, relook at that plan and adjust accordingly. Once I get my car, okay, where can I put all that money that I'm putting to my car fund to, you know, is that going to go to the next house fund or whatever it may be? I think really just creating that initial one and then building off of it is really where you're going to get started. What do you guys think?
3: So Rachel, uh, Lots of good points there. I, I think a lot of it comes down to goal setting and really prioritizing your goals. Um, personally, I use kind of the bucket approach. So I have you know shorter term goals, which is maybe saving up for home remodels, new car purchase, um, vacation, because I love to travel. That's probably number one. Um, But then retirement's also really important too, right? You want to make sure you don't sacrifice your short-term goals or your long-term goals for one or the other. So um, making sure you can set aside a certain amount of money for each of these goals, knowing that you're on track to accomplish those, I think is really important. Um, Now it gets a little bit more challenging when you have student loan debt in there as well. So sometimes some of the goals may be sacrificed in the short term, um, and that's where engaging a financial planner becomes really important because then it's it's trade-offs and opportunity cost right so do i pay off this high interest student loan debt first because it's at 12 percent or do i pay off my credit card debt that's at 25 percent well the answer is the latter but you want to make sure you're doing them in the right order Um, and then maybe you know retirement savings comes third in that scenario where for somebody else retirement savings could be first so it's really, to Lily's earlier point, laying out what do you have, figuring out how do I preferentially pay these down in the most effective way possible? And then how do I at the same time not sacrifice my life today because I'm only young once and I want to travel now? So you got to balance all of those things out.
4: Those are such good points, Kyle. And and I think something easy to do that um, simplifies this a little bit is setting your 401k contribution or your savings contribution on just a monthly automatic uh, deposit. And so whether that's 10% or 5%, if you're trying to pay off student loans, whatever it is, if you set it up for automatic contributions, it's, you know, it's out of sight, out of mind. And that I think helps to get the ball rolling. Um, And then with the planning and prioritizing, there's always the option to kind of Take a look at your budget, see where your spending really, really lies, and a budget doesn't have to be this stressful thing of, oh, we're spending too much here or we're doing too much here. What, what are we thinking? This is too much. It's really okay. This is how much we're spending on subscriptions every month. Is that really where we want to be putting all of our money? Should we put a little more towards a short-term goal of going on vacation or? It's just really, if you know where you're spending, it's easier to prioritize maybe where those buckets of savings could
2: be going. Absolutely. If we've got too many DoorDash subscriptions and Grubhub subscriptions going on, maybe we got cut back to only one now. So I, I get it, I get it. That's part of the plan. It's definitely part of the plan.
0: I think we, I think, yeah, I know, but for you and I personally, Rachel, I think we've established that we're going to get kicked off of those apps eventually, so it won't be a problem.
1: In, <laughs> exactly, just
0: a future, so we're going to be fine.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: And, um, so I'm, cu- I'm a little bit curious to um, Kyle and Lily on a real practical level of like the pro- that process of of helping somebody who's like just starting out to make to actually make those judgment calls because that really is what it comes down to, right? It's like, if you're, if you have three streaming subscriptions and it's, it's a big part of your kind of discretionary budget, but you have other things you might want to do, like you got to make some judgment calls there. So how do you like practically help people work through making those somewhat emotional decisions? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, uh, the first
3: thing you got to think about is realize you have to go in with the perception that there's no 100% slam duck right answer. It's not going to be black and white. Now, there, in some cases, it is black and white. If you have a 25% you know interest credit card debt, you should be paying that down first. But if you have student loan debt at three and a half percent and You have a mortgage at three and a half percent and you want to save for retirement and you want to travel you know it's six and a half dozen and the other probably with what the best thing to do is so in that case a lot of it's behavioral um you know some of our clients want to save up a bunch of money and then put a big chunk down on their student loans because if they pay down ten thousand dollars every three months as opposed to paying down you know thirty three hundred every month it feels better so there's just there's different ways of going about it um, but you really just gotta prioritize your spending. Um, you know, if you have a Lululemon addiction like I do, you just, you can't be eating out at restaurants every night because then you just have absolutely no money. Um, you really just have to prioritize and you have to make sure that you're not buying everything on Amazon because um, it's just so easy and I, I, I need to delete my Prime account. Um, but there's, you really gotta balance, you know, you wanna make sure you're always taking advantage of free money. So if you have a 401k and there's an employer match, no one doesn't like free money. Get the free money. Um, but besides that, it's you know there's some pay down super high interest debt because that's just going to continue to essentially reverse amortize and grow over time. So you want to get rid of that. Um, but part of it is just sticking to a plan, making sure you're doing something because sometimes the analysis paralysis takes over, and doing nothing is probably the worst thing you can do.
4: And I think framing it in big picture. So we'll do this. Um, process a lot with clients of, okay, here's what you're saving now. Here's when you can retire. And sometimes the program says, you can't retire. You got to (laughs) work until you're 90. And so I think kind of sometimes looking at the big picture of if you make some adjustments now, you can retire at 60 or you can retire at 55. But if we don't make those adjustments, then We don't have the flexibility that we were hoping that we would have. So um, I think framing it big picture sometimes is really helpful, too, to get people motivated. That behavioral kind of piece that Kyle was just talking about.
0: No problem. It's no problem for lawyers, though, Rachel, just so you know, because the the noble thing for lawyers to do is to die at their desks. So if you don't need to retire, you just just keep going and then you die at your desk. That's your retirement.
2: I'll just, I'll keep plugging away. I promise I'll keep going. The last thing I do, I'll be updating my estate plan since I'll be like 90 years old at my desk.
0: (laughs) So I'm, I'm curious then about, you know, we've talked about kind of plans and we've talked about uh, balance sheets, things like that, judgment calls. But all of those are really, all of those are really snapshots, right? That's a you do a plan. That's a plan. That's really a snapshot of what your what your value calls are in the moment that you do the plan and things change life life circumstances change. So how do you not necessarily just stick to a plan? I think like we've kind of been framing it, but um, also allow the plan to evolve in a reasonable way, if that makes sense. So
4: that's a really great question. And I think the rigidity of of setting a plan and then sticking to it is important, but life also happens in between all of those things. So maybe you're going to get married and you never thought you were going to get married. And then all of a sudden you have a kid and the retirement savings goals have totally changed um, because now we have to start funding a 529 to put our kid through college. Um, So the pivots in adjustments that you have to make to your financial plan are normal and they're good because if everything happened exactly the way that we thought it was going to happen, life would be so boring. So (laughs) I think the key is every year, make sure that your priorities and your goals still align with what you had said the previous year. And if things have changed and big life things have happened, let's readjust because that's, that's what planning and that's what, uh, you know, being a good planner is you can't, you can't get too stuck in, in the weeds and you have to know life is going to throw you some curveballs, and that's good. That's normal.
3: So Mike Tyson once said, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. And I don't know about you guys, but I've been punched in the face a couple times and it's going to happen probably a few more times in my life. So the key thing is flexibility. You got to realize that, you know, everything's going smooth one month and the next month, you know, The air conditioner breaks, the radiator on your car explodes. I mean, who knows what it could be? I had termites at my house. That's fun. If you haven't dealt with that yet, that's a great time. Got to call that guy who's drilling holes in the cement. It's like, oh my gosh. So, you know, with with that in mind, you want to make sure you have an emergency fund too. So that's got to be a priority. Um, But you just got to kind of have a good attitude with this and be flexible because, Brent, to your earlier point, you really got to frame how much wealth you need. Now, again, that question's kind of difficult to answer when you're young, um, but you don't need all the money in the world to be happy, and money does not equal happiness. You really got to figure out what you're passionate about and what drives you and what your purpose is, um, because at some point you realize enough is enough, and then you can really just dedicate to doing what's really important. Um, I'm the firstborn child. I'm type A. So I'm definitely the uh, if I don't save, I get anxiety. But as I've grown and matured, I've realized that you need to let it go. I mean, just do your best and things tend to work out the way they should if you can
0: stick to a plan. Yeah, I really like that. It's it's planning, right? Like planning is a continuous thing. Having a financial plan is like that's a singular thing, but it's only part It's only important because the plan is part of planning uh, over one's lifestyle. And sorry, I I mean, I asked that question uh, intentionally because I think there's a little bit of a tendency sometimes for people to view, say, like a budget or a financial plan or something like that. Like it's this very rigid, restricted thing that's just going to then you've got to stick to that uh, religiously for the rest of your life. And if nothing ever changes in your life, like Lily is suggesting, A, you probably had a boring life. And B, um, that you probably also had an exceptional life, right? Because most people, that's not the way life works. Life has ebbs and flows and weird things happen. And, you know, the roof leaks or, you know, you have a plumbing issue or your car breaks down or, you know, things like that just happen. And that can throw a wrench in the quote unquote plan. But that doesn't mean that the planning process is thwarted just because there's a little bit of a hiccup in the linear view that you were planning on and when you view it as the plan is just the plan is sort of part of the planning process then i think you can take like you're saying kyle you can take those ups and downs and stride and understand that well this is an exception to the default for me and when i get back to the default then i'm i know what i'm going to do because that's the plan but there are going to be exceptions and just you know you just have to accept that that that's what happens in life and it's not your fault and it's not anybody else's fault it's just being a human being.
2: You said it perfectly Brent. I don't I don't think there's any more that has to be said on that. I, I think it's that just sums it up perfectly. And what all of us do and for all of our clients from start to finish it's an ongoing process and then, and it, that's how it should be and that's why it's fun and that's why we all do it. So wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Lily and Kyle, for joining us. This was a really fun conversation. Um, I think there's there's so much more that can be said on this topic, but because we are limited in time, we don't want to drag on forever. We will stop it there. <laughs> thank you so much for having us. It's,
4: it's always fun to talk through these things, and oh, it's great. Thank
0: you. Thanks, guys. You got it. See you around. Mm-hmm. Hey, listeners,
1: thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com and follow me on social media at Wealth and Law. I'll see you there.